0: Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. We are recording on Saturday, April 2nd, 2022. I'm pretty sure this program is going to be put on the World Wide Web's on April 7th. I'm Jack Fowler. I'm the host. The star, the namesake, Victor Davis Hansen, is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Victor, everything he writes, practically everywhere he appears, videos of such, you will find them on his website, Victor Hansen, dot com. You should subscribe. And I'm going to tell you how a little later in this episode. I'm going to shoot Victor a quickie after we come back from our commercials. And that's going to be about this California city. It's now handing out income to people just because they happen to be trans and non-binary or whatever. One of those letters in the long LGBTQ. But we'll get to that. And then we're going to get to our favorite person in the world, Anthony Fauci right after these important messages.
1: Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door,
0: We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. So just as we were about to record, this story popped up, and I'll just read this quickly, Victor. Palm Springs, a desert city in Southern California. I have a feeling that's probably cities. Ooh. Bob Hope and wealthy old Republicans used to live in places like that. Palm Springs will allocate. to start a program giving transgender and non-binary residents between $600 and $900 of monthly income. The Los Angeles Times has reported the Palm Springs City Council unanimously approved the plan to develop the program last Thursday, unanimously approved. And according to this piece, and I'm looking at a piece in the blaze, no strings attached. Here you go. Take the money, do whatever you want with it, just because you say you are you're non-binary, we're, we're going to give you dough. I mean, Victor, this is, I guess it's crazy. I know, but I think it's a virtue of also of a wealthy town, uh, a perversion of wealth. You wouldn't find a poor town giving away money like this. Anyway, what are your thoughts quick on this, Victor?
2: Well, you have to have some exegesis because it makes no sense. I mean, half of 1% suffer from gender dysphoria. That their neuro system is not matched with their physical system. And so it's, a, it's a definable physical ailment or, or challenge. I don't want to be deprecatory gratuitously so, but we've known it since antiquity. You know, there's a great poem by Catullus Jack called the Aptis, A-T-T-I-S in English, Athis At and it's a tau theta in Greek. And it's about a rite of Sibylle in this form of ecstasy, this young man that's kind of the male, unique, sexually ambivalent devotees of the great mother goddess Sibley from the East and the Asia, they castrate themselves, and poor Addis gets caught up in this, and I think it's the pandora ilia, the weight of his groin, he cuts off, and then he sits on the shore and looks across the ocean, emasculated, when he wakes up. But it's a way of Catullus, who was, you know, in his poem is openly bisexual, but it's It's part of that larger milieu that he's talking about. But my point is this, that the left has to have a crisis or cause. And whether it's climate change or whether it's gay rights or whether it's wokeism or whether it's social governance, environmental SCE for corporations, are the great reason they have to have these things. So, and they're running out of oppression. There's too many. There's too many would be victimized for the number of victimizers. So we end up in that situation with juicy Smolletts everywhere, and they happen all the time. But this this particular cause, which is a subset of that, uh, never you know never let a crisis go to waste. Have some manufactured epidemic of fear. In this case, jackets. there's a nationwide effort to go after transgender people. They're just suffering left and right. And they have nowhere to hide if it wasn't for left-wing people. But it's also, a, you're right, it's about that phenomenon is very predominant in three areas. The media, the wealthy East Coast, West Coast media, and I include Silicon Valley and social media and academia and entertainment, Hollywood. Remember, it started. We the first time I heard about as in the word transgendered was Cher's son. Remember Chaz Bono? I think he transgendered. Oh, yeah. He transitioned, I should say. And I think it, what it is, it's it's a way of very wealthy, mostly white people. Not all, because it is a biological condition for some, but for wealthy white people to adopt an oppressed group, and they don't, they can feel it's one of their own. They own it. Because the feminism now, I mean, when you have 55% of all undergraduates are women and the majority of bachelor, uh, BAs are, are female, it's very hard to say that women are oppressed. So they're on to the transgender. So it's a fixation or a tick of the wealthy white urban classes. And they feel this is somewhere where nobody will say to us, oh, you know, you ain't black or, you know, you're inauthentic or this, this is something they feel that they've carved out in their cultural, social milieu. And and it's very predominant. When I'm here in the San Joaquin Valley of California, I will see somebody who's transgendered, of course, because they're everywhere. No problem. I've never seen anybody singled out for hatred or bias. And it's no big thing. But when I'm in the academic world on the coast or I'm in the media world, it becomes a fixation. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people who are very young, this is a trite thing to say because it's been so well Uh, discussed by others far more informed but it becomes a a fad a, Mm -hmm. a, a cause celeb and then people do things to their bodies that are very harmful what i don't understand about the left is see jack they're environmentalists but they don't care about feces on the sidewalk of major urban centers right they have to Have open borders, but they don't care about all the trash and stuff that people out here throw when they're illegal. They are natural food people. They don't like cigarette smoke. They hate meat. And yet they're willing to put these very dangerous synthetic drugs into the arms of young, you know, preteen people. It's almost barbaric. What good would be going on a, a gluten free diet? and issuing certain drugs, and then shooting yourself with the most powerful hormones in the world.
0: Well, Victor, speaking of giving injections, Anthony Fauci, our old friend. You're um, going to give me
2: an injection of Fauci? Well, we are,
0: well Fauci. There, are two, there are two things about him. One, um, I noticed on Twitter, someone found an interview that he did on C-SPAN, where he was very adamant with the I forget the guy, Pete, I know you've he's interviewed you before the C-SPAN guy, but this is from a number of years ago. Fauci looked much younger. Where someone said, what if you got the flu? Don't you need to get a flu shot? Fauci was absolutely. Clip. Yeah. I mean, so so let's talk about that. But also more the bigger issue about Fauci is this big Vanity Fair piece that's out. He's no longer, you know, the St. Fauci, even with part of the media, that's as liberal as Vanity Fair. Here's this. It's a story by i want to read two things. One is Vanity Fair and the other is Daily Mail. A woman, Catherine Eben, uh, this shouldn't happen. Inside the virus hunting nonprofit at the center of the lab leak controversy. So this is on Vanity Fair's website, March 31st. So going down scale a little bit, love the Daily Mail because they do a great job on reporting things. Their headline of this story is Revealed. Dr. Fauci silenced all Wuhan lab leak theories after being schmoozed by gain-of-function researcher Pete Daszak, whose controversial bat experiments may have sparked this pandemic, new reports claim. And they are referring to the Vanity Fair article. So, Victor, this is the barnacle on the hull of the USS Fauci. It's not going away. He had a role in it. He made us taxpayers complicit in this, that he is being somehow weirdly wooed by the guy that he's giving money to is weird, but we so we have that and we have that video clip we just mentioned. Have at Anthony Fauci, please, Victor. Uh, you know,
2: I I was very critical of him in March and April of 2020. I got attacked by a lot of people for that, and the reason I was is that it took took you about four minutes to go back and look at these YouTube things and that one about the efficacy, not just the efficacy, but the superiority of acquired immunity over vaccination. wasn't readily available because I didn't see it, but he had given these pontificating speeches about masks. Remember, why would anybody want a mask? Yeah, go on a cruise. You know, the the chances that this thing is going to get over here are very small. And of course, this was all now we know from the email disclosures of him, of his and Francis Collins via in reference to people who are inquiring and want to know the facts, whether he had helped to Peter Basick, who remember that guy was, what he was an expert on seals or polar bears or something until he hooked up with Fauci and decided to be an echo health in the sense of viral researcher. He's not an MD, but my point is that once they saw that they had exposure that prior to the outbreak of this virus, they wanted gain-of-function research. It had been outlawed in the United States, and they were funneling money to their friend, Peter Daszak, millions of dollars, millions of dollars, some of which, a small percentage, but some, 600,000 or so, were being rerouted with the full knowledge of Fauci to the Wuhan lab. And then when you think about that, take a deep breath, everybody, and you think, my God, Anthony Fauci was at ground zero of COVID. He has the same relation to COVID as maybe Hillary Clinton does to Christopher Steele. She helped fund him, or she funded him. And that's she's the creator of the Russian hoax. He's the creator in some ways of the myth that that the lab had nothing to do with it. And so he, he lied about masks. He said that one wasn't helpful. Two were better. None of all, sometimes he praised the WHO, then he's backed off from that. Then he said herd immunity really was 60, maybe 70 or 80. Then he immediately said he had to lie about masks so that people wouldn't go out and buy them. So he had zero credibility. And now we learn with the released emails in this latest video that you referenced, Jack, that he never did believe that vaccinations were superior. He just he just wanted to scare us and say that natural immunity didn't exist. So we'd all get vaccinated. Maybe it was a noble platonic lie, like his mask, you know, masks don't work. Oh, thank God. They didn't go out and buy masks so that the ER people couldn't get them. Ah, Herd immunity. Nah, it doesn't work. Oh, thank God. He said that, that way people will go out and get vaxxed. What if they do get a little greater side effects uh, or unnecessary vaxxed? It's for the greater good. That's how he functions. You know, he's 80 years old. He's a multi-billion dollar czar. He sits there at the Institute for Allergies and Infectious Diseases with this multi-billion dollar budget. And then these obsequious researchers write to him, please, 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 Anthony, you're the greatest guy in the world. Was there any chance that, you know, I could come and see you? Well, I don't know. And he doles out our money. Well, he's the highest paid bureaucrat in the government. And, of course, his wife is uh, what, uh, an ethics czar that adjudicates people's ethics for a government health bureaucracy. You know what he reminds me of? He's 80. And when I was in high school, there's a guy, I'll just change the last name, Hector Lopez. That wasn't, Lopez wasn't his last name, but Jack, he was about 5'4", and he had arms that were no bigger than twigs but he was one of the strongest pound for pound people I ever saw. And if he grabbed you, I mean, people don't believe it, but he was just, his body was just taunt. It was just skin and bone, but it was all tendons. And there was a big guy, I won't mention his name, that pushed him around, made, um, Hector had a little bit of disabilities, cognitively impaired. I don't know what it was, but one time Hector grabbed down that guy, big guy who pushed him and he grabbed him and he, he wouldn't let go Jack. You couldn't peel him off. You couldn't. He guy hit him in the head. It was like he had an iron grip. That is Anthony Fauci and the Institute of Allergy and Infection Disease. No matter what happens, he's clinging to that job. He doesn't care about doing research. He doesn't care that he was caught lying to Rand Paul. He doesn't care that he was a total political operative who went on CNN and trashed the president, was talking behind Trump's back. He doesn't care about he was wrong. He doesn't care. He's cynical. He's got a grip on that agency. And he says, you know what? I may be 80 years old and I may be decrepit you know, as 80s year olds can be, but I'm not going to let go of this thing because without it, I'm nobody. And he'll never let go. Never. And that, that's where we're at. This is the yep. guy who told us that we were going to flatten the curve for three weeks. And then you can see that he was communicating with Democratic and left-wing people the whole time, and that took on a life of its own, and it started to have political usefulness in that 102 million male in-ballot 2020 election year. And he was always a political operative. He was distrustful. He hated Trump's guts. Everything he said about quarantine, social distancing, masking, was predicated on the political Ramifications of every decision he made, i.e., in favor. He was in communication with the left. He seemed to know about the Pfizer vaccination being viable before the election, when they deliberately suppressed that knowledge. So, time to to go. Be gone with you, as Oliver Cromwell. This can we be done with you? Bye. Shut up. Get out.
0: Well, Victor, the initial comments that masks don't work. I think a little transition into the borders not working. And this has to do with these uh, Title 42 withdrawals by Biden. Let's talk about that right after these important messages.
1: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital.
0: We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show recording on Saturday, April 2nd. Victor, this is big in many ways. Of course, you wrote a book about dying citizen. You wrote a book about Mexifornia. You've, you've talked many times on these podcasts about the obvious connection between sovereignty, borders, citizenship. Layer to this, uh, what we talked about on our most recent podcast and others. Before that, the declining political fortunes of The Democrats coming up. And could there be another kind of stepping on a landmine by Joe Biden than, than what he intends to do with this Title 42, which was a Trump initiative that restricted asylum claims? Biden is going to either he's lifting them or they go away unless they're renewed, I think the end of May. This is a signal to crash the border again. What is a border? What's an imaginary border in the United States? So this is a travesty, I think, Victor, coming up. What are your thoughts on why Biden is doing this? And what does this mean for the United States? Well, we this know, we know why
2: he's doing this, because the left cannot convince the majority of Americans that their agenda is workable. It's not. It's a failure. So they feel that by opening the border and they're, they're, I mean, it's not, we keep saying this, but 2 million in the fiscal, last fiscal year and another million at the rate we're going, I think there was almost 170,000, Jack, in February alone. So you can see that you're getting close to 2 million already. We, we could have 4 million is what I'm saying in Biden's first two years and 700,000 people, roughly 750 make up a congressional district. So you're talking, you know, 20 congressional, well, excuse me, 750, you're talking uh, four, if you do this two, four, and you did it for four years, you get 8 million people. So you're getting, you know, 10 congressional districts almost, 10 congressional districts worth of new people all beholden supposedly to the Democratic Party who allowed them to come in unaudited, untested unvaccinated, without diversity, without legality, with largely without English, and uh, without any concern for the numbers and the ability to assimilate or integrate them. And so why would they do something so insane? Often at the expense of minorities and marginalized communities or, or social services will be taxed. And the answer is that they're ideologues and they want to remake the United States And they want to import a new demographic they feel will have fealty toward them in exchange for using other people's money to support them and give them educational, legal uh, housing, food, subsidies, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why they've opened the border. And they don't really care. So you have one on the one hand, Anthony Fauci saying, oh, I don't know about this Omicron new variant. There's a new variant of the variant of the variant and we could go back to lockdown. Then you have Mallorca saying, it's over. It's over, we don't need this 42 rule. They can just come in. There's no worry about COVID. So it shows you that the ideologically, uh, the ideology of illegal immigration is even stronger than the Karen paranoia of being infected. And that's what, that's what they wanna do. And th- when, you, when you think the right would be hysterical, and say you're destroying the sovereignty of the United States, it's not quite united because you have the corporate right. And they always want cheap labor where they can use use up young people from that are impoverished, have, allow them to do, you know, cooks, landscapers, uh, meatpacking, whatever, farm labor, and then when they're hurt or injured, put them on the social network and let it, the public pay for them and bring in a new group. So that's, that's the politics of it. And uh, Joe Biden... You know, he, he took an oath to faithfully uphold the law. So if you were in a real world rather than this fantasy land, and he, these are the following immigration statutes that say if you come in illegally, you shall be detained and returned to the your country of origin, or you will have a, a legal hearing and people aren't even showing up for those, he would be impeached. And according to the protocols that the Democrats have established, it's pretty much if you're a first term president and the opposite party gains control of the house in the midterm elections they're going to impeach you twice. So when the de- Republicans take control they're going to have a real fight on their hands on whether it's wise or not to impeach him. Politically it may not be wise, but according to the law he's impeachable. He deliberately uh he deliberately <laughs> broke his oath of office. He really did. And that issue drives people crazy because whether they're Punjabi, first-generation immigrants who are trying to sponsor somebody with a PhD and capital and fluency in English and they've been waiting five years, or whether it's a Mexican-American person that's in trying to be upwardly mobile in a predominantly poor neighborhood where you know, the schools are just now getting all English speakers and have an influx of people who don't speak English or people who depend on public health services that are swarmed, ERs are swarmed. It's again, the elite does not care. If Joe Biden, you know, I keep going back to that. I don't want to bore the readers, but uh, I've written two columns in my life that I got the greatest number of hate. One was suggesting that the empty corridor from Powahua Woodside along 280 to the coast, Half Moon Bay, all the way to South San Francisco, you know, 45 miles north and south and 35 miles east and west. It's pristine. Since you believed in illegal aliens and you believed in poor, the poor and helping, why don't we make high-density apartment buildings and put a couple million people in affordable housing in the Bay Area? We have the Crystal Springs Hetch Hetchy Water. We have... 280, we can get mass transit. People got really angry. One person even told me that they didn't work hard to have a polo field polo field, so that they could have some illegal aiming squatting on it, really. He said that. And then the second one was when I suggested that all of the dorms in the United States had the ability to house about 500,000 people, and they were idle in the summer. So when these influxes, which are predominantly summertime phenomena, when they come in, and poor people come in and they don't have a COVID test and they're not vaccinated and they have an array of maladies and they're poor. And what do they need, Jack? They need, where I work, they would need expert legal care. Stanford University's law school is one of the best in the world. It's right there. They would need uh, healthcare. Stanford Medical Center is right there. They would need housing. They have housing on campus for six or 7,000 people that's not being used in the summer. They would need food support. There's a lot of in-campus food services. They would be wonderful. And then they need tutorials and acclimatization and integration. And there's all these summer interns, these Stanford left-wing students. Why not take the two million that are coming and to direct them to Harvard, Yale, Princeton? That that would be an ideal solution. And yet people wrote me the most racist things. No, I'm not gonna, be serious. I am
0: serious, Victor, Don't uh, mess with the man in his polo field. <laughs> that's that's kind of. That was a
2: woodside guy wrote me and said, "You know, what do you want me to do? You, I don't want squatters on my polo field." And I went up and gave that a talk in San Francisco, and I mentioned that, and a guy got so angry in the audience that he tried to approach me, and they had to kind of restrain him, and then they kicked him out. He was screaming, and yelling, and he was kind of a wimpy, really wealthy. Silicon Valley type. I wanted him to come up. I thought, you know what, this will be interesting, but he was so angry to be told that he was a snob and elitist and wanted illegal aliens to live in, in everybody's backyard except his estate. Right. Well, they go to the third mansion. Barack's building a third mansion in Hawaii, and he's already at odds with the environmentalists because he's, you know, it's Barack. And, you know, he's right on the ocean shore of Hawaii, where, you know, climate change will inundate. So he's got all these drain systems. I looked at it. It's a big house, Jack. He could just fly a lot of illegal aliens into his backyard. Right. Michelle could toot him and read him stories.
0: (laughs) Well, hey, Victor, no borders maybe means uh, one world, right? World government. Well, we're going to talk about one of the gurus of that. We've mentioned Klaus Schwab before on these podcasts, but I don't think we've ever really drilled down on him. And let's do that right after these important messages.
1: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
0: Hi, we're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show on, uh, well, I think today when you're listening to this should be April 7th, we're recording on the 2nd. I want to recommend to our listeners to visit victorhanson.com. go regularly, you will find all kinds of links to things Victor has written, especially his American Greatness pieces there's a lot of original content. It's called Ultra. You can only read it if you are a subscriber, and subscribing is very cheap. Five bucks a month, $50 a year. Why don't you uh, consider doing that? If you're on Facebook and are interested in Victor, his whereabouts, he's got his own page, but there's also VDH's Morning Cup. Why don't you search for that? If you're on Twitter, you can follow Victor at V. Hanson. There's a wonderful Facebook group called the Victor Davis Hanson Fan Club. Check it out. They are all over Victor's many, many links. So, Victor, I found a piece. I send it to you. This is kind of the, the character you would see in 70s movies or this European elite, super status leader of the world. People... Mock them. I forget these Bilderbergs or other trilateral commission types, but hey, you know, they, I think they're for real. So, Klaus Schwab, this is the headline of a story. Klaus Schwab calls on global leaders to form world governance. And Schwab is the head of the World Economic Forum, which I believe is the Davos thingamajig that all the people fly to in their private planes to complain about, complain about climate change. So, World Government Summit has just happened in Dubai, and Schwab gave one of, he spoke, he's one of the main speakers there, about more intergovernment and supra-government cooperation is needed. There's going to be some something he's calling the fourth industrial revolution. It's arrived. It's happening fast, much faster than the other revolution. industrial revolutions happen, And we, the elite, we, the smart people, we need to take charge of this. I'm making that of you know, compacting his speech there kind of comically. But I think that's essentially the message. Victor, I'd be interested to know if you've ever been to Davos or, or cross paths with any of these types at any kind of formal setting. I doubt you have. But if you have, let us know. But also, any thoughts about this character, Klaus Schwab?
2: You know, I know a little bit. I don't know him. I haven't been to Davos. But Michael Walsh, the former time essayist and author. Yeah, our friend. Yeah. Yeah, right. our friend he's written a, a book called The Great Reset Project. And it's a collection of contributors. And everybody has to contribute 8,000 words about an aspect of the dangers of the Great Reset. And he asked me to give the initial overview. And I think my, you know, the overview of the Great Reset. So I spent, you know, like, um, I don't know, two or three weeks reading everything I could. And I wrote, a, 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 it almost 10,000 words about it. And it's very scary because, it's the John Kerry's of the world from the political world, the Macron's, the Trudeau's in the political world. It's Bill Gates, it's George Soros, it's Michael Bloomberg. It's the people who are becoming fabulously wealthy in China. And uh, there's a lot of military ex generals. There's a lot, all of that elite, what we call bicostal elite, and their European and Asian counterparts and Middle East counterparts. And they believe that democracy, they don't say it because they say they're pro-democracy. But when you read what they're really writing, he wrote a book called COVID-19 and the Great Reset. At least he had the honesty, Jack, to say that this was a wonderful opportunity. And the only people that I know who, I mean, besides Rahm Emanuel, never let a crisis go away. The only two people I really remember was Hillary Clinton said, we can't waste COVID. We've got to get universal health care, one payer system. And then Gavin Newsom said, we got to get a progressive capitalism. So they admitted, but he did and said, COVID-19 and the great reset. And this tragedy that's killing, you know, over a million people gave a chance to get this elite group, these platonic guardians, to go to Davos and these places, the World Economic Forum. And then they could say these are what we're going to impose a uniform corporate rate, and that will allow for environmentalism social justice and world governance the esg agenda and then green that the paris accord and diversity and we're going to transcend national sovereignty and i you know when i first started i thought who would ever trust anything to these people but you know they're very successful in, in various walks of life and influential a lot of entertainers but the funny thing is, it's working. They have already drafted a world income tax blueprint. And everybody, we signed on to it, Jack, of minimum taxation of corporations. And what they really want to do is they do not want an Ireland, for example, or any Eastern European offering tax incentives to bring a corporation that would hire people and be robust and economic activity, rather, and then reduce the taxes in exchange for that stimulus because they wouldn't be able to count on the tax revenue going to unelected bureaucrats like themselves for redistribution. So they're very dangerous people. And I like to just politely say to the left that the threat to democracy in this country will not come from somebody with epaulets and sunglasses and an officer's cap or a January 6th look it's always going to be some soft-spoken constitutional lawyer like Barack Obama who just, you know, I just have to surveil those associated press reporters. I just got to find out what James Rosen is saying to his his grandmother. I just got to have Lois Lerner rejecting uh, tax-exempt statuses. I just got to kind of you know, maybe sort of maybe spy on Donald Trump during the transition, or it's going to be a wonderful Kevin Kleinsmith that just kind of has to alter a document that allows him to snoop on people, or it just happens to be Hillary Clinton that has a little money that she can give the DNC, can give a little money to Perkins Coe, give a little money to Fusion GPS, you can give a little money to Christopher Steele, a foreign national interferer and destroy a candidate. That's where the danger is, because you see, there's no left-wing audit on them. They're on the same team. At least with the right, the media hates you all the time, and they don't. Whether you're moral or not doesn't matter. You can't afford to be immoral because they're watching every aspect of their life. But when you give a free pass, human nature being what it is, the left just takes advantage of that. So this great reset is a. Uh, it hates the United States more than any other country because. These international elites feel that not only are we too capitalist, even though I think our tax code is less capitalist than Europe, I think we're more socialist than they are now. But what they really hate are certain aspects of the United States that are quirky, or they represent our Puritan foundation, or they're our frontier. And that's this awful Second Amendment. There's nothing like it in the world. And this weird, nutty idea that abortion, even late-term abortion is deathly and murder and violence. Where did they get that? And this idea of getting a big pickup truck and owning your own spread and being highly individualistic, like as if it's 1880, they can't stand that. And so when you look at the Great Reset's for actual protocols, it's aimed really at the United States.
0: Victor, I'd like to talk just briefly or hear you talk just briefly about a court case, and then I'd like to end the podcast talking about the infamous slap, which I know everyone still is talking about. And that's why I think I want to hear from you about it. But the court case has to do with that Oberlin College ruling. So remember the story? There was a bakery in town, a standing member of the community, some kids from Oberlin. This is in Ohio. They come into the store. They're trying to shoplift. They get into a fight with one of the, I think the grandson of the owner, he was arrested eventually the kid there was a shoplifting thing going on but of course Oberlin college came out furious against this racist act etc and then the dean of students there was a protest outside the the store probably several protests but the dean of students of the college was actually creating and handing out flyers and accusing the family who ran the store of being racist went to trial the family sued Oberlin, and I think the decision was two years ago. We talked about it a long time yep. ago on one of the other podcasts. It was a tremendous financial ruling against the college of over 30. I think the initial was over $40 million. was cut back a little bit, but by- uh, And they
2: restored it, right?
0: They restored it. So this ruling that came out the other day holds this penalty at over $30 million. So that's a fact. And you know, bravo, I'm glad the quotes so are there. But the thing that interests me is the, the infamous dean of students who was in the street handing out flyers, attacking these people, left the college, and she was hired by Oglethorpe College in Georgia earlier this year, where she is now the vice president for student affairs. It's Meredith Ramundo. And this, I just don't get about the academy. That's somebody who did something so disastrous for an institution. What did she do?
2: What did she do? Disastrous, Jack.
0: She was out on the street handing out the flyers yes. okay. that, so that led.
2: So far, <laughs> they love that. Continue. <laughs>
0: right, right. But it's the thirty million dollar bill. Oh, let's. So they have a of... multi
2: billion dollar endowment. Go, keep going. Where did she go wrong? <laughs> so she, she, she cost the university millions of dollars for what? a wonderful <laughs> right. cause that's going to remind everybody how left-wing they are, right?
0: I guess so. I guess who's that's Who's mad a about
2: much. that? Some guy with thick glasses that's in a little closet office who's the CFO's assistant and says, if you do this and keep doing this, we have exposure, our insurance rates are going. But academics, administ- they're the least knowledgeable people about physical responsibility in the world. They're tenured, life for hire, for life and they don't care about money, and not until they're laid off, and they never think it's going to happen to them. So in their way of thinking, they were speaking truth to power. The poor, was he 93 years old, the patriarch who died, and his son died? Yeah, he was. Both of them died. Right. It it was terrible. It was tragic. And they just, they knew people had been shoplifted, and they just caught a guy red-handed. And then they went out, and basically the university unleashed a systemic terrorist campaign against them. I'll use the word terrorist. That's got poor Joshua Katz in trouble at Princeton, but I don't mean in the sense of a racial term. I'm just saying that the universities allowed people to go in there and to disrupt the lives of those owners, and they did so with a boycott and violence and shouting and defaming them, and the court found that. And they have no apologies whatsoever to make. And so that's where it is and okay well the left never apologizes they just move on to the next cause i mean maybe hunter once in a while the laptop it's so embarrassing but they didn't apologize they said well oh, you know and somebody may have said that that it, that it was inauthentic or less disinformation but that's about the extent they'll do it they never apologize never apologize move on to the next psychodrama that's what they do
0: well victor let's end today's podcast With the still ongoing psychodrama, and this is the Will Smith slap of Chris Rock, which we're, okay, we are, you and I are talking on Saturday, the second this happened six, five or six days ago, Monday, the previous Monday. And today, just as we're talking, the Daily Mail's top story is now Denzel's prayers with Will, who are we to condemn Denzel Washington slams his fellow A-listers for judging Will Smith, et cetera. It's on Daily Mail, which I think is a terrific website, there's probably two or three stories a day about this, and people keep talking about it. Look, I'm curious your thoughts. Why is America so taken with this incident? Is it a stand-in for other issues? We should have stopped talking about it, I guess, two days after it happened, but. We still are, and people still will be, I think, a week from now, a month from now.
2: What are your thoughts? They're right. It's a Colin Kaepernick moment. It's LeBron James not standing up for the national anthem or not saluting the flag, but obsequious enthralled to his Chinese paymasters. So it's the hypocrisy of the whole thing. He has an estate in Calabasas. He's a multi-billionaire, probably. And this idea that after he's slapped somebody that he's not arrested, that's an assault. And then the Academy doesn't remove him immediately from the premises. And he feels contrite. He's kind of laughing. Then he's caught when he understands his wife is upset. So then he wants to be macho. And I won't get into the whole cuck scenarios that people have been writing about. But then afterwards, he does get the, uh, the award and they give him a standing ovation after he just hit somebody like that. And I don't know why he wasn't arrested. And then we had to hear all of the other melodramas about the black man and his childhood and all that stuff. So it was just an encapsulation of this sick country and what happens when the left takes over institutions. You remember the video the music awards, Jack, when Kenya West, was it 2009, came in? Taylor Swift, and he just disrupted it and started screaming. Nobody said a word. And so what's happened to the Oscars, say 50 years ago, I don't know, 1970, if somebody in the audience, even during the heyday of the 60s generation, if somebody in the audience had stood up and started disrupting and screaming, they would have been removed. If 30 years ago, 1990, somebody who was yelling, they wouldn't have been removed. But if they said the F word on global TV, which he did, they would have been removed. Now you can disrupt, you can use profanity, the F word, and you can hit somebody with a surprise coward. He was also, this is another thing people don't talk about. You look at Chris Rock and Will Smith, huge compared to Chris Rock. And he didn't come up and say to him, listen, after this is over, I want to talk to you. Or if you're going to make fun of my wife right now, do it to my face. He didn't do anything. He just, he gave him a blind sucker punch. Cow, most cowardly thing to do. It was disgusting. Then they've destroyed that whole, I mean, they have the second worst ratings. This was after COVID. This was supposed to be the resurgence because COVID was over. You could come out now and they had turned the production over to an African-American team. And, you know, it's, They've destroyed it. They've actually destroyed, like they've done the Grammys. And when, you know, it's kind of like giving an Emmy to Governor Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo, or they've destroyed every, they have the on Midas touch. So the response is that the people are listening to this, they'll say, well, Victor, why do we care? I haven't been to a Hollywood movie in a theater in 30 years, or they'll say, I, I haven't watched the Oscars in 25 years, or I don't even know what the, to- I can't know the difference between a Tony and a Grammy and an Emmy, who cares? Or I don't watch the NBA anymore, whatever I want, to watch LeBron James, some half-wit lecturist? I don't want to watch that, tell me that I'm a racist every single day of his life when he's up there in some mansion in L.A., so they tuned out all of this. And that's because everything they touch, they have to ruin. And, and that's part of their nihilism. And, you know, it started, I guess it was, what was her name, Jack? It was that, you remember when Marlon Brando was it? Uh, right. da, 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 that was the woman,
0: it, or, it, the, little,
2: the, feather, little Feather.
0: Little Feather, you yeah. nineteen seventy-two, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, yeah, no, seventy-one. No, no yeah. it's the fiftieth anniversary of the.
2: Uh... Yeah, and he didn't want it. He got the Academy Award for what was it, The Godfather, or was it Last Tango in Paris? I can't. Godfather. Remember. Yeah, and he didn't want to get it. He wanted to say, that, you know, I'm making a statement, but he didn't have the guts just to say, like George C. Scott did. I don't believe in this. Is a accurate assessment of acting. I'm not going to show up. I don't want. He sent a surrogate to say no, you remember? And so she got up and the whole Ward Churchill get up and gave this lecture right? and kind of just hijacked for the first time, really, a political hijack. And then Clint Eastwood was the guy following. And as I remember, he said something like when she was going on exploitation and death and genocide, and he, Clint said, well, you know, John... There's a lot of cowboys got killed in John Ford Western. (laughs) And that was about the extent of the controversy. But you could see the slope that we were on, the slippery slope, where the left, for the left, everything has to be politics, 360 degrees, 24-7. And the purpose of art, it's not ours, gratia artis, art for the sake of art it's art for the sake of politics it's the right. soviet style that every form of expression has to have an ultimate telos an ultimate end right. for political advantage and right. a political agenda and people are so sick of it it's another reason that i really do believe i know that i'm a broken record but this november midterm is going to be a tsunami and every single person has a beef, whether it's gas or inflation or the school board or critical race theory or what we just talked about, the coarsening of American society and the lies about it. The lies about it. Right. Another thing, you know, I want to be very careful in finishing what I'm saying, but I'm just going to respond to what the left says about diversity, inclusion, equity, affirmative action, proportion. I grew up, I should say I came of age with these concepts of proportional representation, so did you, Jack, you're younger, and disparate impact. Remember those terms where for hiring and for marquee positions that the country would be represented according to the ratios of its ethnic groups? If Blacks were 12%, damn it, there should be 12% neurosurgeons or airline pilots. That was the argument. And if there wasn't, You couldn't say, well, I know you're not racist, so who cares? It just happened. It it was called disparate impact. There were nebulous cosmic existential forces that were, we would later be enlightened enough to call them systemic racism, but microaggressions and things like that, that made certain prestige marquee jobs not represent America. Well, you know what it is today? It's repertory. Because when you look at the Oscars, I swear, 40% of them, of the people there and participating were African-American. You look at commercials, I have no problem with it, but 55 or 50, 45%, I think statistics say about 40, are African-American, not 12%. Right. And when you look, and I, I didn't understand this Jackson nomination that everybody says it's a racist country and we have to have an African-American woman. Well, we already have, well, this will be four of five justices will be women. And we already have Clarence Thomas, if we have a second African American, it's according to their own logic is what I'm trying to say. Right. It will be 20, let I me mean, do the nine, two divided by nine, 22, 20% will be African American. That's over-representation. So once you go down that trajectory that you're only going to judge people on percentages of the general population until you are represented exactly you have claims against society what happens when you're overrepresented and you assume the role of so-called white people whether it's 73 percent in the nba or 74 percent in the nfl or you're white males and you're only you know 33% of the population, and you're 75% of the people being killed in Iraq and Afghanistan. So, this is what is so fascinating, just as an observer. I'm not, I don't really care. I mean, I'm just, I'm not involved in it. But when I look at it and I see what's going on, that the civil rights movement first was equality of opportunity, and then it was proportional representation, affirmative action to ensure that everybody had a seat at the table. And now it is. We have to ensure that we're diverse in a way that extinguishes the threat of white privilege and white hatred and white rage, when that means that our proportions will be greater than those in the population. And that's where we're headed. Nobody seems to articulate that or identify it. But that's obviously the subtext of everything from the NFL to commercials. And I just wish they would say this, the architects of these policies, why not just say, I don't really care what people look like. If Mm -hmm. you want to play basketball and the NBA is a hundred percent African American, that's, it's fine with me. Mm -hmm. If you got the best players, I don't, I don't want quotas for small Asian kids or, you know, overweight white kids or whatever. I don't, I don't, I think it's, it's much more demanding game than it was when it was exclusionary. So I think it's great. My only, and if it's a marketing decision that you think, well, then only African Americans will watch African American athletes. Well, fine, live with it. Or you right. can have some white guys that aren't as talented. They didn't make it on merit as much, and you're going to overrepresent them maybe for marketing purposes. But let's just be honest about it. But that doesn't apply to all these things. So, yeah, I mean, at some point, you get what the subtext is about all this. It's not proportional representation. It's not even repertory. Representation to make up reparations for past sins of somebody's great great grandfather, maybe not somebody's great great grandfather, but it's a hatred. It really is a hatred of this. When you hear a Joy Regis spout white privilege, white privilege, or Maxine Waters, or there's a real hatred there. It's a racism, and people should say that. Right. Some of these-
0: and Victor, racism coming from a very small amount of people. I mean, we've talked about this before. I mean, I didn't. America has made great strides
2: in this. And I was yeah. the publisher
0: of National Review at my house every night. There were like 12 kids, black, gay, whatever the hell. Nobody cares. I was don't American. understand
2: it because if you look at race, you've never had a higher level of intermarriage. You've never had more integrated right. neighborhoods. You've never had. I look at my own family. Right. Whether it's one of my brothers married to a Mexican American woman, or my other brother has two Mexican American children, or my wife's family is multiracial, I don't understand it. This white supremacy, white supremacy—it doesn't make any sense. Right. And then when I look at all of these very talented—I mean, the two smartest people I met at the Hoover Institution in my 18 or 19 years there have been have been Shelby Steele and Tom Sowell. and. I mean, I know they're black, but I don't right. even care. It never really was an issue because I just looked at the talent that they expressed in their writing and their speaking. And and so the only good thing about this is it's really weird because of the abuse that black conservatives take from white progressives. They have really had to be courageous. They've sharpened their skills and they're the best defenders of a meritocracy of any race or anybody or any background. And when you see a black conservative on television or you see them in the academy, they can out-debate white progressive. I mean, they have to be that because of the abuse they take, but it's been kind of a, a winnowing out process that they get the most articulate, confident, indomitable people, and they're naturally conservative. Same is true with Mexican-Americans. Same is true with French conservatives. You meet a French conservative... Right. And they're some of the best conservatives in the world. They can answer any question or, and they're courageous. So I don't know. I, I'm really disturbed about this. When I see people complaining about race, 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 race for my most of my life, And we have to have affirmative action. Now we have affirmative action. Now we have a seat at the table and now we're going to be repertory and we hate your don't your white privilege and your white privilege has to be ended. And that means we have to have people based on their skin color and numbers greater than the population. That's just pure hatred. It really is. It reminds me so much as we talked about earlier, the neo-Confederate mind that we're going back to 1850 yeah. and you are how you look. You are what you look.
0: Well, Martin Luther King is uh, turned turnover in his grave, I think, but so Victor, we've run out of time. We're at the hour mark here, so we're going to have to rock and roll. But before we do, we'd like to encourage our listeners, our many new listeners, we're we are number 7 number 7 in America on political podcasts. It's kind of cool with garage band uh, setup we have that we record. We no marketing budget, but people are coming to hear Victor's wisdom. So it's many people who are listening now are probably I've only listened recently, so we thank you for coming. If you want to, of course, listen on whatever platform suits you, Stitcher, Google Play, et cetera. But if you listen on iTunes, please consider leaving a five-star review, a reward for Victor's brilliance. And if you'd like to leave a comment, please do that. We read them all. If you'd like to leave a comment, here are some questions I wish Victor would answer. We're going to be recording a few shows in a few weeks that are strictly, will have those questions uh, there. Victor is going to be going away, but we're going to fill the gap of his...
2: I hope we'll I'm going to go away, Jack. I'm, this well... is the third time I've tried to take a group of people to Israel, the first two for COVID and war reasons, but we're scheduled to go to Israel on May 23rd. But the lack of security and the violence, I hope it doesn't impair our trip. It's kind well... of mirror images, the the exit of Netanyahu has opened right. the gates in Israel, as the exit of Trump did here, for foreign actors to take advantage of the apparent lack of deterrence. Yeah. Anyway, I, I want to thank everybody. I, I've been twitching a lot, Jack, so I made some noise, but I was I was all week under the house and up in the attic, and I discovered something. What? When you're 68 years old, you can't <laughs> move around like you did when you're 50 or 40. And so right. I go under there, and then I I'm just a wreck, and then I have to twitch and move because I have this pain and that ache. And that cramp.
0: Get some, get you some. Uh,
2: I have to get icy, better.
0: Icy hot or something like that. I Maybe.
2: have that. You should see my nightstand.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to read one comment. So okay. before we go, and then and I'll,
2: I, I'm going to shut up. I want to listen to it. That's okay.
0: Well, a few weeks ago, you were talking about the that all of a sudden deluge of rain came. So this is titled "Rain," and it's from two seven two one V. Whoever that might be. And just like that, it started to rain. I listen to all your podcasts. The classicist sometimes above my pay grade, but I listen and learn. As a farm girl from Indiana living in the southern Central Valley, I love the stories about the farm and hope the rain helps. So, uh, yeah, I hope so, too, Victor.
2: Um, it did for about a week, and I'll take a week over nothing, but we're back to the drought.
0: Well, let's uh, we'll do the we'll do the rain dance. So, uh, well, that's that is about all the time we do have. We suggest folks go back listen. If you're new, go back and listen to some of the old ones. Uh, Sammy Wink does some terrific. If you if you really like things classical and historical. Sammy tends to focus on those in her podcast with Victor. So anyway, as always, Victor is always brilliant. Thank you, Victor. Thank you to our listeners for listening. And we'll be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson show. Thanks.
2: Thank you, everybody, for listening.